So those of you who were here last week will remember that Roger spoke on the passage from John chapter 8. It's a passage of a woman caught in adultery. And the law in those days dictated that she should be stoned to death. It was quite clear in black and white she should be stoned to death. And Jesus is challenged on this. The Pharisees, who have dragged her out into the street, say, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, we should, we're commanded to stone such women to death. What do you say? And Roger spoke about laying down the stones when Jesus suddenly calls out, fine, go ahead, but... If any of you is without sin, you should be the first one to throw a stone. And one by one, the stones are laid down and the crowd departs. And it was interesting to think about times when actually we find ourselves standing in a conversation or in a situation with a stone ready to hurl judgment at someone. And then we have those words ringing through our mind and we are forced to lay down the stone and to walk away. And so this lady finds that the, the crowd walks away and that she's not stoned to death. In fact, she's not harmed at all. And Jesus says to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Which is great, which is amazing. This lady was was spared death by the grace and love and wisdom of Jesus. We can all stand and listen to a message about forgiveness. We can all be told, you are forgiven. Go, be forgiven, be free. But when Jesus says to this lady, go now and leave your life of sin, for many of us it makes us question, how do we do that? How do we leave our life of sin? What does that mean? Well, you see, up until this point, up until Jesus came and walked on the earth, up until Jesus um, died on the cross for us, actually that answer was fairly simple. We see in 2 Samuel, King David of David and Goliath fame. Many of you would have heard of him, of course. King David has decided he wants to take an audit of his kingdom. He wants to know how many people he's got, how powerful he is. And so he does this audit of his army. And he, he sends out to all corners of his kingdom saying, let me know how many troops you've got, how many fighting men. I want to know. I want to know how big these guns are. And then he realises, I've done that for my own pride. I've done that for my own satisfaction. That wasn't something that God wanted me to do. And so he realises that he needs to put that right with God. He goes to the furthest outreach of where this audit took place, the, the, the outpost of his kingdom. And there's a man there who owns a threshing floor. And David says, I want to build an altar on that threshing floor. And I want to make a sacrifice to God. Because once he'd carried out this audit, because it, wasn't, it was disobe- disobeying God, it wasn't, it wasn't following a command of God, a plague came upon the kingdom. You see, God saw that David was getting a little bit too big for his own boots. He was flexing his muscles and taking pride rather than giving the glory to God, and this plague comes on the kingdom. And so David knows that he has to go and build this altar and make these sacrifices. And the owner of the threshing floor on which David wants to build the altar realises, this is my king. 
asking to buy my threshing floor. And he says, he says, um, let my lord, the king, take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering. Here are the threshing sledges and the ox yokes for the wood. King, I, I give this to you. May the Lord your God accept you. So in other words, he says, whoa, whoa, you're my king. I'm not going to accept anything from you. Please, take it. Take, take the floor. Take all the, all the equipment to burn for the fire. Take the livestock and, and use them for the sacrifice. But listen to David's response. The king, David, replied to Arana, the man, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. You see, David was making a sacrifice, and the very nature of of a sacrifice is that it hurts. Livestock were were valuable. They were expensive. Property was expensive. A threshing floor was something that that was used to, to generate an income. It would have been quite expensive for David to buy all this off this loyal subject. But David knows he has to, not just to honour the man, but to honour God. There is a price to pay. David had to pay for his indiscretion. The sacrifice that that David was going to make, it had to cost him something. So what about for us today? Because for us to obey that, that commandment of Jesus, go now and leave your life of sin. Those words that Jesus spoke to the lady caught in adultery. Well, actually, we're not going to go and build an altar and, and, and sacrifice animals. We don't do that anymore. And the reason we don't do that anymore is because of Jesus. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he was without sin. He was utterly blameless. He lived a perfect life. That's difficult for you and I to understand because... I don't think I'm the only one in here who cannot say I've led a blameless life. I cannot claim to be perfect. If I do, I'm an absolute fraud. I'm pretty sure that you would be too. Each of us have committed our indiscretions, our sins. We've made our mistakes. We've caused our offences. But Jesus didn't do that. In the book of Romans, Paul writes these words. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, every single person has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is no better or worse than that lady caught in adultery. And Jesus says to every one of us, because of what I've done for you, go, go, Sin no more. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, Therefore, so because of what Jesus has done for us, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free and you free from the law of sin and death. This is, why we, this is why we worship God. This is why we say what a great God he is. Because the promise of scripture is that, is that because of what Jesus has done for us, if we follow him faithfully, if we accept him as our, as our saviour, then our salvation is secure. Then our place in heaven is secure. 
And while we live here on earth, our task is to live a life that honours him. So forgiveness requires repentance. When we come before God, we, we need to be open and we need to be honest. We need to say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I've screwed up. I've got things wrong. I've made mistakes. I've said things I've, I shouldn't have done. I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've gone to places I shouldn't have gone. I've thought things I shouldn't have thought. But, Lord, I need your forgiveness. That's why we repent of our sins. It's not because we like to beat ourselves up and, and, and batter ourselves into this miserable state of, oh, I'm so awful. It's actually because we want to stand up uh, proudly and say, do you know what? Yeah, I'm, I, I know I'm a sinner, but I know that my God loves me to the point that he sent his son to die for me on the cross. And because of that, I am a sinner, but I am forgiven. That is the power of the cross. This world is full of people who like to to hide behind screens and send hate mail to each other. Caroline Flack, we heard this week, took her own life because of the pressure of the the vitriol that she received online. Now, yes, she was a public figure, but who deserves that? But you know what? Even those people who drove that young lady to take her own life, God loves them, God forgives them, and if they repent then he will forgive them, and so should we. Forgiveness is the most powerful thing that we can offer to those around us. Forgiveness is the thing that frees us to live a life appreciating God's glory, knowing his love, and then to spend an eternity in his presence. I'm going to pray for us, and then Ollie's going to come up with the band and lead us in another song. Heavenly Father, thank you for your cross. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your Son onto this earth to to live amongst us, to teach us, to show us how you want us to live, and then to give us this, this amazing fresh start, this opportunity to call you Father, to approach you, to know that we can claim a place in heaven, to know that through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the sacrifice that was made once and for all, the sacrifice that means that we don't have to sacrifice anything ever again, Father, thank you for that. That was a sacrifice that took away our sin, that paid the price. It cost you everything, Lord, so that we don't have to pay anything. Lord, thank you so much for the glory of the cross. And thank you, Father, for the freedom that it gives us to live lives that honour you. In Jesus' name, amen. But enough about sacrifice. It's not a subject we like talking about, really. Instead, let's talk about the response. The response to what Jesus did for us on the cross. As Oliver just mentioned, one of the letters that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, in in Greece, he he spoke about love. He described love. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. It's a great description of love. But I'm about to read a passage from his letter to the church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. It's still there, or at least the ruins of it are. And Paul wrote this letter to a church, reminding them, reminding them of what they need to do to live a life that responds positively and obediently to Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life 
to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So whatever we've done, whatever our old self was, whoever we we were, whatever has haunted us, we can lay it before the cross. It's almost literally taking off our old self. I won't do that because I lose the microphone. But taking it off and then a new you is underneath. Like a butterfly coming out of a chrysalis. It says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour. For we're all members of one body. Don't lie to each other. It's not a bad teaching, is it? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. So often we can let ourselves be eaten up by something that's narked us, something that's really annoyed us. And we can really focus on it, let it, let it dig deep, let it get a foothold inside us till eventually we're seething because someone's made a gesture at us in a car park or, or someone's said something we didn't like in a, in a meeting at work or maybe across a family dinner table. And rather than, rather than go to them and say... Look, that really bothered me, and talk it through and deal with it there and then. If we let it fester, we let the devil get a foothold. Paul says, don't do that. Deal with things before they, before they grow, before they erupt. He who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. What's offensive about that teaching? Nothing. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't go around bad-mouthing each other and and, and giving each other a hard time and pointing out all the weaknesses and all the mistakes that other people make, but instead encourage one another, lift each other up. I don't know about you, but I need encouragement. I need encouragement. When When I make a mistake... I'd beat myself up enough. The last thing I need is someone else saying, yeah, let me join in, let me help you. Paul says that doesn't help anybody. Build each other up, encourage each other, love each other. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I've said it several times already this evening. We are all sinners. But do you know what the good news is? God's let us off the hook. He's given us a second chance. He's given us Jesus. So how do we respond to John chapter 8? How do we Follow Jesus' instruction to that lady caught in adultery. Go now and leave your life of sin. Well, we turn to Ephesians 4. We cut out all bitterness, rage, anger, unwholesome talk. We don't steal. We don't lie. We treat each other with respect and with love. You see, so often you can go out up the high street, go into a a pub or, or an office or anywhere, and you'll hear people say, oh, Jesus Christ! And they're not making a theological statement. It's an offensive term. Why? 
because we've allowed it to become one. So when we leave here tonight, having taken part in a creative worship that Oliver's going to come and explain shortly, we're going to leave here tonight having had the opportunity to confess to God the things we've done wrong, to ask for his forgiveness. And do you know what the Bible says? That when we leave here tonight, if we've done that, we leave here tonight forgiven. I think that's amazing. I think that's powerful. Because that means that we leave here tonight not weighed down by a burden of sin, but instead buoyed by the opportunity to go and make a difference in the world. An opportunity to go and put an arm around a colleague tomorrow morning and say, look, I know you're going through a tough time. Can I help? Is there anything I can do? To go and, and maybe buy a box of chocolates for someone that's done you a good turn last week. Or maybe it's an opportunity to say, let's go out for, let's go out for lunch. Come on. Let's, let's talk about our differences. Let's, let's put this to bed, this, this bad blood between us. It's an opportunity to be like Jesus in the world. And that can't be a bad thing. I don't know if any of you were like me and got up at about four o'clock this morning to watch the, the World Heavyweight Championship boxing match between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. No, just me then. Well, I'll tell you what, it was worth it. It was worth it, partly so I enjoyed the sport, but what made it really worth it for me is that at the end of it, when Tyson Fury had won the bout and the microphone was thrust into his face and the question was asked along the lines of, Tyson, how did you feel the fight when are you, you, know, were you pleased with it? He just said, first and foremost, I want to thank Jesus Christ. And he wasn't being sarcastic. There was no catch. He said, Jesus Christ takes people in the darkness and brings them out into the light. And I want to thank him. I want to thank Jesus. And then he went on to talk about the fight. Now, this is someone who has been heavyweight champion before. Someone who, the, the, the incredible financial rewards and the fame went to his head. Someone who battled with depression, went into a very dark place. This athlete who let himself get to about 28 stone, he put on so much weight. He was snorting cocaine to try and alleviate the, the, the darkness of the depression. He was finding these other ways until eventually, eventually, he found that he could turn to Christ. And then he began to make the good decisions. He began to take the right help, to listen to the right people, to get his life back on track. And the first thing he said last night is, thank you, Jesus Christ, who brings people out of the darkness into the light. That statement didn't get reported in the, the um, post-fight reports that I read. They just went into his other statements, which isn't surprising because for some people, Jesus Christ is offensive. But I say to you tonight, study the teachings of Jesus. Look at his life. Look at his words. Look at his death and look at his resurrection. You will find nothing offensive there. You will find a model for a good, wholesome, fulfilling life and one that ends with a guarantee of salvation with our Heavenly Father who sent him to reconcile us to our God. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite Ollie to come up and explain our creative worship session. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you, Father, that, that we are forgiven, that we can turn to you, that we can claim our, our part of the cross, that we can say, Jesus died for me, personally. 
and that we can confess our sin privately to you. And then we can walk away tonight knowing that we are released from that burden. Father, thank you for that. And help us not to underestimate the goodness and the wholesomeness of your word and the opportunity to live a life fulfilled with you. Father, thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.